Getting back into town, for those of you um, that I uh, don't know yet, my name is Rollin, I'm the lead pastor here, and I look forward to getting to know you. Um, but uh, anyway, it's just it's our pleasure to worship with you together. Um, great worship um, this morning, uh, and once again, it is wonderful whenever we uh, don't even coordinate with the uh, worship team, but it's the same theme that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so that's the Holy Spirit, and it's just good. Um, We're going to be talking um, through the next two weeks, finishing our series for the summer as the summer comes to an end about uh, the Macedonian call. And I hope if you were here last week um, that you were able to be encouraged by the powerful ministry um, that took place uh, through some of our missionaries from France. Uh, What we've been doing the course throughout the summer is not only taking mission trips, not only supporting mission trips, but then also receiving some of our people who are on the mission field full time. And so Um, If you were not able to participate in that last week, uh, the podcast is up for you, and we um, encourage you to uh, be encouraged by that message. And um, with some of the ministry uh, that took place, we always like to give people a theological basis for understanding um, sort of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's taking place in our midst. And so there was actually um, a book written several years ago by a man named Jack Deere. And how many of you are familiar with Dallas Theological Seminary? Okay, Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay, so Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a professor at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he actually wrote a book um, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit ministers to his people today. And so he wrote a book called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. And if any of you are um, interested in learning sort of a little bit more of a theological underpinning of the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, that is a gift for you um, on the back table. Um, It's there on the hospitality desk for you if you'd like to read it. So, again, it's a theologically um, sound professor who's uh, teaching the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept, and he's telling us how we can engage God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. And so we encourage you to pick that up if you haven't read it before. So with that in mind, I'm going to um, go ahead and get started with uh, the message today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what we've been doing is we've been going through um, the series of not only missions, but what is the message that God himself has to the people of God whenever uh, he establishes his churches in regions um, that previously did not know him. Um, We are in a city uh, that, again, as I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, though it has been exposed to the gospel, um, statisticians today say that in most urban centers that um, people are usually about, in our present culture, 5% churched. Um, In our city of Chicago, they estimate it's more like 3%. And so um, when you see the 2.7 million people who um, surround you, it's not that they haven't heard the name Jesus before, but in terms of being uh, radically transformed by him, converted, you know what I mean, born again, living for him in a wholehearted manner, um, the, the people that you're surrounded by on a daily basis, if you really take the time to think about it, you could see that statistically that's probably true. Okay, it's probably true. And so the culture that Paul was writing to in the midst of Thessalonica, which was one of the cities in Macedonia, um, were learning to live as opposed to the culture that they found themselves in. How do I live to, in fact, please God? 
How do I live to please God when I'm living in a culture or I'm living in a soup that does not go in that direction or does not gravitate um, towards that as an ambition or a goal? And so Paul, writing a letter to the Thessalonian church, um, today we're picking up on that very theme. And if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about it in two, uh, two forms. Number one, as we were worshiping today um, through song, it's a call to holiness and then number two, a call to redemption. Uh, if you heard one word repeated over and over again <laughs> through, that, through the songs that we were singing, it was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory, right? And so as the people of God, we're called to be like him. And the scripture commands us even that we are to be holy in all that we do because, not because it's a good thing or not just because it's better for us, but because the Lord our God is holy. And so because he's holy, we're to be holy as well. And Paul picks up on this theme that we're going to elaborate on today. So first of all, a call to holiness and then a call to redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good word towards us. We thank you that your word sanctifies us by your truth, not the truth of the culture, not the truth of uh, society that surrounds us, but by your great and grand design, which is best for all of humanity because you created us for, your, for yourself and for your pleasure and for our good. So God, we're asking you that through your word today, you would transform us in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So first Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse one. Paul's writing. He says, finally then, brothers, <clears throat> we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. How to walk and to please God. This is altogether different than uh, maybe what people are used to when they grew up in the church. They were used to believing certain things, but walking with God in a dynamic fashion is something different, right? Having a relationship with the living God, not the God who's dead on a cross or just an icon that you wear around your neck on a necklace, but the living God. How do you walk with him? How do you talk with him? How do you relate with him? And how do you live in such a way as to please him? This is what Paul's talking about. He says, you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So whenever Paul's talking, he's very specifically talking about how to, this is his theme, how to live to please God. And ultimately, that is our aim as, our, as his children, right? If we are called by God, if we're sanctified by God, if we are called to be set apart to God and for his pleasure and his purposes, right? Right? 
when all of us were made by God, we have got to get to a theocentric form of living and not a humanistic form of living, where humanistic forms of living say that God is meant to be here for us, to bless us, to serve us, to answer our prayers, to only be behind anything that we want to slap his name on and call holy or good, right? That's how most people live. They say, I have my own agenda, I have my own plans, I have my own purposes, and if I just slap God's name on it, then I can say that it's religious, spiritual, or good. But in the biblical sense, that's an error. In a biblical sense, what we see is that God is the first and the foremost. When he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, he says that I created you by my power and for my pleasure. By my power and for my pleasure. That you were made by God and for him. And then when he brought you to himself through Jesus Christ, and there's some in here who don't know what that means. What that literally means is that we, though created by God, had gone astray. We had all gone and lived selfishly by our own ambitions in sin, which is rebellion against God, his ways and his commands. And God said that I cannot relate with that because I'm good. I cannot have a dwelling place with evil because I'm pure. I'm set apart. I'm what the word means, holy. And what God said is that I had to come on a rescue mission for all of humanity. And I had to send my son Jesus to live a perfect life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, to on the cross die a death, a sacrificial death that we all should have died. And so that as he was innocent and raised from the dead, after three days of suffering, he gave eternal life to those who would repent, turn away from their sin, turn away from selfish living to holy living, turn away from living for their own pleasure to living to God's ple- for God's pleasure and live for him in righteousness and being set apart for him in that pleasure the rest of their days. This is the good news of the gospel. He said anyone who would repent Turn away from sin and believe the good news that Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. He says, I reconcile you to myself. I bring you back into friendship with myself and give you new life and new hope in me. The way it was meant to be. The way it was meant to be designed. When Paul was talking in this culture of the Thessalonians, he was talking in a culture that was amidst or rife with pagan worship. And what I mean by pagan worship is that they saw, serve all types of false gods. We actually live in a culture where we actually are applauded if we say or think that everyone's way is right. And whatever you want to think, that's the way you want to go. If it's right for you, it's right for you. It might be good for you, but not for me, right? Relativism. It might be actually pluralistic in thinking that always lead to the one God, the one true God. But when Jesus showed up, he said something diametrically opposed to that. He said that there is one God and there's one way to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came in the flesh, clothed himself with humanity and said that if you're going to live to please God, you've got to know what he looks like. You can't just make up on your own a spirituality that is of your own concoction, your own doing and expect to please the one that made you by his power and for his pleasure. 
He's saying, ultimately, I'm going to show you who I am, and then I'm going to show you how to please me. And in this culture, it was not only rife with all types of idols, but particularly the idol in cult worship of Dionysus. How many people remember their Greek mythology? Okay? And all time, okay, well, that's fine. You don't have to. You can go back and read later. Okay, but here's the point. We're talking about Jesus today, not juice. All right, but here's the point. We're talking about in that culture, they were rife with all types of sexual immorality, all types of immorality, so much so that they didn't value the human body as God intended it. They didn't, in, um, they didn't value human relationship as God intended it. They, marriages, even in that day, were marriages of arrangement and not, con, um, and not love. They were marriages of convenience and not things that came together because they valued God's love and the way he said to do things. So in that culture that Paul was speaking to, saying you're unfamiliar with God and his good news, God and his ways of doing things, whenever they were talking about marriage or sexuality or things that have to do with the things we're concerned about on a daily basis, right? I mean, you think about the things you're concerned about on a daily basis. It's usually your job, your kids, sex, and money, right? No, I mean, come on now. Okay, you say, well, that's fine. You can deny it if you want to. But we're concerned about our jobs, you know I mean, our kids, sex, and money. And in that culture, they had a misunderstanding about how to approach it properly. In that culture, in that culture of arrangement, they would often be, they would use their wives. The men would use their wives just to have responsible child rearers for their children and their posterity. But the rest of the time, they would have mistresses. The rest of the time, they would give themselves willingly to prostitutes. The rest of the time, they would give themselves to things that may not be available as readily in our culture because we have laws that have been influenced by the gospel, but they're just the same in terms of what we have access to through video, right? Through media, through television. What am I talking about? Pornography, things of that nature, right? It's like people don't have an understanding without God and his good creation as to how relationships best function. But to live to please God, God puts his finger on the things that are most pertinent to our everyday living. And one of those things, he says, to live to please him is be sanctified, be holy, be set apart. Don't live like everybody else around you in the culture. Don't accept everything that wants to be thrown your way as acceptable or before your eyes as something entertaining or something that you're going to imbibe upon. He says, be holy and set apart to honor the Lord. It's a call to holiness. And it's actually a call to the greatest pleasure that you could ever have. Because God knows best how his people are going to be satisfied. Is that not true? He says, listen, if I've called you to myself and I've called you to actually be sexual beings, I know best how you're going to be satisfied even sexually. And to do so, you've got to do it my way, not the way of the culture. Yes, monogamy is good. How many people can say amen to that? I mean, we live in a culture where, I mean, the apps that people have on their phones. How many people have ever heard, I hope you haven't, but how many people have ever heard of Ashley Madison before? There, yes, there is a 
maybe I shouldn't let this out, but there's an app where you can like, listen, go online just for hookups. You can go online for a hook. I'm not even talking about Tinder. I'm talking about like, listen, like, you know, you know the differences, right? There's eHarmony where you're trying to be good. And then there's like Tinder where people are just trying to hook up. Okay, listen, but even when people are married, right? There are things that they're promoting, a sexual immorality that's embraced by the culture that God's saying, if you're going to be my holy people, you're not to live this way. You're to live in a way that's different. You're to live in a way that's set apart. Literally, when God's saying, I've set you apart for sanctification, what that means is I've set you apart for my pleasure and I've set you apart for my purposes. He says, you are not your own when you belong to God. You are bought at a price. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor the Lord your God with your body. And not just your body, honor the Lord your God with what's going on in your heart. And he knows it's a struggle. He knows we're in the flesh, right? But Jesus gives us very practical things when he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. Gouge them out. Because you've heard in the past that if a man commits adultery, it's only something physical, right? But Jesus brought it to the matter of the heart. And he said, listen, it's, if you even look at a woman lustfully, or women, if you look at a man lustfully, you've already, with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Why? Because it's a matter of opportunity, not conviction at that point. If you're only entertaining things in your heart, saying, I've not hurt anybody, I've not hurt my spouse, I've not hurt anybody around me because I've not physically encountered someone else, that's a deception. Because truth be told, if you had opportunity, time and opportunity, in that state, you would fall quickly. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, be set apart to me. Live to please me. If you're a married person, let me tell you, it will go better for you if you live this way. How many people can say amen? amen. Okay, everybody say amen. amen. If you're not married, it will go better for you if you learn to live this way. Let me tell you something. If you don't know how to control your body as a single person, it will not go well for you in marriage either. Self-control begins now. Self-control begins with you being set apart now. The only thing is you're going to bring more heartache on an individual you're committed to if you don't know how to control yourself now. And God's saying, be holy, be set apart. And if you're not married yet, here's the thing. He is absolutely saying, let me make this clear, no sex before marriage. Hello? If you have not put a ring on it, then stop asking for it, men. Right? No, come on now. If you are not willing to commit and devote your life and lay down your life as a servant, to love as a servant and build up as a servant a wife that you're going to be committed to, don't ask her to give of herself physically. Stop it. It's sin. And you need to repent of it. And if you have already committed that sin, as I had prior to coming to Jesus, let me tell you, here's the good news. He can forgive. Yeah. 
He can forgive. And He can wash us clean. And He can heal. And He can put us on a new track. And He can sanctify us unto His good purpose. But it's for His pleasure, right? It came to, it, it was a new measure for me when I, I mean, I was, I was always a man. But, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but but it, went, it went to another level for me whenever I had daughters. Hello? Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. When I had daughters, it went to another level. I was like, I read the command before, but whenever I started thinking about my sweet girl one day and how some other man would treat her, I was like, oh, they better be, live to please the Lord and me. <laughs> right? And how they treat her. Because they, God wants people to be treated with honor. God wants women to be treated with respect. God wants men to be treated with honor. God wants men to be treated with respect, right? He doesn't want you to take advantage of one another because you can. What does that mean? Because you can. This is what he's talking about here. What does it mean to take advantage of somebody because you can? He said, don't defraud them, right? Don't defraud them. What does that mean? That means to call them or to entice or bring out of them something that you can't righteously fulfill. You might know what I'm talking about. Back in the day, they used to call that a tease. You know what I'm talking about? The things that tease you. It's sort of like, okay, like, you know, I'll, I'll show a little something to entice you, but I won't give you the candy, right? That's not good. That's defrauding. That's sin. That's living in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. He's saying, be modest in your living. And this doesn't just go to women. It goes to men too. Some of those Under Armour shirts need to breathe a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> sort of like all tight. I'm like, listen, bro, are you suffocating in there? So I'd be holy. <laughs> be set apart to God. Live to please Him, right? This is the commandment of God. He says it starts with what you do in your body. And Chuck Colson, who passed away, he actually said this, as opposed to what we experience in our culture today, he said, alien and archaic, as the idea may seem, the task of the church is not to make men and women happy, it is to make them holy. The task of the church is not to make men and women happy, it's to make them holy, pleasing to God, that God himself might be happy with who we are as his children and how we live, right? That's what we're here for, for the pleasure of the Lord. And he says, here's the good news. Here's the good news. If you live that way, the fruit of the Holy Spirit the one who makes us holy, the one who lives inside of us, who sets us apart to himself, he gives us a gift, which is the fruit of joy. Real joy. Powerful prayers. Real joy, right? That when we live in the freedom that God provides for us, we actually are liberated in joy. That I can walk down the street in Chicago in summertime when people are half naked and actually have the power to bounce my eyes. You know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like, it is not sin. I can't control how everybody else dresses, but I sure can control what I'm looking at. 
and I can bounce my eyes. That's what I teach my sons to do. I'm like, listen, son, we're walking down the street. Pretend you have some music playing in your head. And when you see something that's immodest, bounce, baby, bounce. <laughs> right? <laughs> bounce, baby, bounce. Why? Because you're trying to keep your spirit clean. You're trying to keep your heart clean before the Lord that you might live to please him. He said he set you free from sin. Don't be yoked again by a bond of slavery. And that's what slavery many of us were in prior to serving Christ. He says, don't go back to it now. Be free. And if you've been bound as a Christian, he says, come to the cross today. He'll set you free. He will set you free. When he's talking about cutting off your hand or gouging out your eyes, some of you need to cut off a relationship that's unhealthy. I'm not talking about if you're married, that's too, you're too late. Okay? But I'm talking about if you're not married and you have some girl, some guy who's always trying to pull you into bed. You might need to cut that thing off. And will it hurt at first? Yes. But will you heal? Yes. And will you be far better? Yes. I'm a testimony of that. Some of you, to cut things off, just need to get certain apps off your phone or get some accountability in your life. Stop going on the things at night. Right, right, come on now. Remember those old songs, the freaks come out at night, right? So it's sort of like don't go to things that you know you're going to be bound by. Don't put yourself in the way of destruction. Cut off the access to those things. Very practical. Amen? Okay, he's, he's going to touch on the things that really deal with life. Living to please him. It's a call to holiness. A call to sanctification. But it's also a call to redemption. Let's continue in 1 Thessalonians. He says, now... Concerning brotherly love. Concerning brotherly love. I love this. Now we get all like squeezy and warm, right? Yay, brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I, I, this, this is this church. I'm going to be honest. Like where they were here, this past, our friends who were here this past week, and anytime anybody comes, they're like, church is so loving. I was like, I know. That's why I like going. <laughs> you know, sort of like tough week. But when I come to church, I'm like, I just want to look like I'm falling into a pillow. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey guys, you know, this is you guys, okay? This is good. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, right? He says, more and more, you're living to please God, do it more and more. What that means, what that means, can't stop, don't stop, right? That's what that means. Can't stop, don't stop. Whatever place you found yourself in, in the Lord, good, don't settle. Can't stop, don't stop, right? You're just two-step. Can't stop, don't stop, I'm pressing on to further heights in God. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whatever tree bears fruit in me, I prune, Right? which actually the word in the Greek literally meant to cleanse of moral filth. Woo! He says, listen, I prune so that it will be even more fruitful. Can't stop, don't stop. He says, listen, do it, do it more and more. Let's continue. 
And he says, listen, do this and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. I mean, obviously we're in a modern culture. You can work on the computer too. Okay, work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one, right? He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And here we go, a call to redemption. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I love that revelation reading this morning. Didn't you? Yes. This is what he's talking about here. But it's Thessalonians. Okay. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Now, this is good news for anybody who's already in a posture waiting and waiting for him because you're already living to please him, right? This is good news that he's actually coming back. And that we'll actually see him face to face and go and meet the Lord in the air. That's good news, right? For those who are not living to please him, it's terrifying news. It's terrifying news because he's coming with a judgment. But the good news is he wants everybody to turn in repentance. Come on now. He says he desires, his desires for the world to repent and have life through him. He said, why will you die? Why? Your family members, your friends, your co-workers, that's his appeal. Why will you die? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked is what he says. But rather that you turn and live. Because he's coming back. And it's a call of redemption. Now many of you have heard this before, read this scripture before, and maybe you grew up in settings where you're familiar with the terminology, the rapture, right? You've heard this. Okay, let me make this clear though. Let me make this clear. We're not... We're not going to just go into the air and just be dangling for eternity with the Lord. Just like, yay, we're we're saved. (laughs) We're free. That's not what's going to happen. Okay? What he's talking about here, just to renew your mind, if you've read too many copies of the Left Behind series, just see what he's talking about here is this. Whenever he's talking about coming again, He's coming to restore all things. That it matters what you're doing today because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He says the world and all who live in it. It belongs to him. And he wants to restore that which was broken. He wants to redeem that which was, has gone astray. He's basically saying that I'm coming back with a new heaven and a new earth. And even if your body has been destroyed by sin, he's coming to restore it in Christ with a glorified body. Isn't that good news? He said, I'm coming to restore that which was broken and sin ravaged. 
He said, I'm coming to restore that which was destructive because it went astray from my grand design and my grand plan. What he's saying is this, that though Theocritus, uh, he was a philosopher back in the ancient times, he says hopes are for the living and the dead have no hope. He said, in Christ, it's different. In Christ, you don't, ho- you don't despair as the rest of the world does. Though you have momentary troubles, those troubles will eventually come to an end. That's the good news in the gospel. He said those troubles, those hurts, those pains that were caused by sins, even of our own making. You hear me? Some of us beat ourselves up so much because we're in sin. I mean, we're we're experiencing the product, not of someone else's sin, but of our own. And we're like, how I'm here because of me. I can't point to anybody else. I did this. Anybody ever felt that way before? I did this, but I don't know the way out. But the good news is he's saying, I'm coming to restore even those things. I'm coming to make those things right by the cleansing of my blood. And he says this, listen, what does it mean when he says we're going to be caught up in the um, air? First Thessalonians 4.13 says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Number one, those who are asleep, he's talking about those who are dead, okay? Those who are dead for a period of time and they're going to be raised again in the return of Christ, okay? But then he says this. He says very specifically, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, that word caught up was a Greek word, and it literally was describing apentesis. It was literally describing in that culture whenever an official or a king or a ruler was coming to town, what would happen is to show that ruler, that dignitary, or that official respect is that the people of the town would gather together and they would go outside of the town to receive the official. And then when they received the official with rejoicing, with praise, with honor being given to the official, they would bring them back into their town to rule. And so it wasn't them just leaving their town. They were basically escorting with honor the official who was coming to rule. In the same way, Jesus said there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And all that causes sin will be cast out, that into the lake of fire, which will be the second death, right? But for the people of God, we're welcoming him. We're bringing, we're escorting him back to that which belongs to him and saying, praise be to the Lord. We are free because he's come to rule, not just in my heart, but in the earth that he's created. And in his, in his name and in his grand design, he's restoring all things. He's restoring all things. And that's why we celebrate. Because he says, I'm coming back, not just to destroy the present earth, 
but to actually bring a new heaven and new earth that you can live free. That you can be free. That you can be clean. That you can be forgiven. That you can live in the presence of God Almighty forever and ever. He says with that, when that trumpet sounds, he's coming. And he's coming for those who've been living to please him. We'll be caught up in the air with him. And then he says, we're bringing him back. And with the new heaven and the new earth, he says, we'll rule and reign with him because we were like him in this earth. Doesn't matter if it was your day, that day, that day to begin serving God, right? Like the man on the cross. You remember the man on the cross with Jesus? He finally came to his senses and said, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, listen, I know I'm here because of my own sin, but when you come in your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus said to him, what? He said, this day, this day, you're going to see me in paradise, right? So even if you return on that day, he said, you're going to see me in paradise and come into a place where there's no more weeping, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain. The suffering and the things that cause people to suffer the sin, he said, will be no more because he's making all things new. He's making all things new. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus. And that's why it matters what we do today. Because he's coming back for a people who please him and who are preparing a place for he goes to prepare a place for us but then he says i want i want a people who are longing to be with me that they might in my new heaven and new earth rule and reign with me as they worship me does this make sense to you it's a call to holiness as we live today but then it's also a call to redemption that no matter how bad you've had it it can get better today it can get better today by repentance and faith in the good news that he brings to you, that he brings to me. And so the message is, that's great that we get encouraged week after week, but he says, ultimately, this is your encouragement. Live free by faith in what Jesus has done for you. Live free by faith in what he's coming to bring because it's good news for you and for the world. Now let's spread it like wildfire as it should be. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. Come on. Worship team, let's worship and then we'll have some communion.